Welcome to the Board Out of My Mind podcast, a casual player's journey into tabletop game design. We're on a mission to find out how to get that game idea out of your head and onto the table. Here are your hosts, Kim Breeze and Parker Simpson. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Board Out of My Mind, that casual player's guide to board game creation. We are back with another fun episode with another great guest. I'm super excited. Parker, how are you doing? I'm good. I am very good. I am wired. I had He's evening had coffee. coffee. Yes. Evening coffee. We have a lovely West Coast guest with us today. There's a possibility that Parker could actually turn into a pumpkin during this podcast. It is a, it is a high possibility. I'm going to keep is. the video scrolling just in case. It is 9 p.m. and uh, Everyone yeah, just laughed at you, Parker. I just, everybody heard 9 p.m. and just went, oh, my gosh. Well, I am a grandfather, so I'm, I'm I need to, to get I my can't rest believe you played this. that card. I can't believe you played the grandpa card. Oh my gosh. I'm a feeble old man. You're not wrong, but I can't believe you're playing the grandpa card. I love it. That's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Well, let me today's guest has been on countless podcast episodes and and she is cool enough to come hang out with us. I feel I'm so excited. Uh, she's designed several board games so far. We'll hear if she's got anything else coming up. She's also a contributor for the upcoming book, What Board Games Mean to Me. So, Parker, help me welcome for Tessa Elise. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you all. Thank you for having me on. Welcome to the show. Welcome to oh, our chaos. Thank you. Thank you. We behave most of the time. <laughs> if I don't have to put Make Grandpa no to bed early, apparently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll try not to keep you too late. <laughs> He'll make Thank it. You. I'll we'll keep him energized. That coffee's gonna keep him bouncing for a while. So we're good, I yes. think. But thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to hear about your journey into board game design. So when did you actually start designing? I started designing the summer of twenty seventeen. Oh wow, okay. hmm Yeah, I I actually kind of got into the hobby backwards because while I played board games through my lifetime, like uh, growing up, it wasn't until 2017 that I really became aware of the hobby in uh, general. And so I started designing a board game and like doing the research for that and, and like how to actually design a board game is how I found the hobby and, and BGG and all of that. That's awesome. Parker, that's actually really similar in a way to kind of how you got into designing. Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's definitely interesting. Seeing other folks who have like a unique entry point. Um, so tell us kind of what, what do those early days look like? Well, the early days, I was really, I was really hitting a lot of walls because my only frames of reference were Risk, Catan, and Monopoly. So okay. I, I really was entranced by the idea of like, what kind of game would I make? And my answer was villains because villains always had the coolest character art. That's um, true. So. I was trying to make a game about villains where everyone could look like they're up to no good. So you couldn't be singled out and figuring out what that looked like. And every time I would hit a wall of like, how do characters move? I don't know. Other than rolling dice, like what are the ways that they move? And so I would go to the internet and like go on all these different threads on BGG to like figure out how they made their different pawns or characters move. And then I found out that there were all these different genres and, you know, worker placements and and trick taking, all these things. And 
concepts one one thing is in in our board game community we don't have one blanket like this is the definition of this particular mm. genre there are lots of people who are just like well technically it could mean this or you know this could be that but the other thing is you just really can't understand it unless you play it it was kind of hard because i was in a very small bubble and in that bubble almost no one around me wanted to play board games except for mm. one or two of my friends and we were all kind of in the same boat so like finding different meetup groups and figuring out how to play these games because I would find the meetup groups and then I would just kind of play whatever was brought to the table. It wasn't necessarily the game that mm-hmm. would help with my game. But what I found was because I was so like new to the hobby, every new game was a game I could learn from. And so the games that I liked, I was like, oh, why do I like this? Let's figure that out. And the games that I hated, it's like, oh, why do I hate this? And I could still figure that out. <laughs> like cooperative games were like yeah. the biggest. It took me months to pinpoint <laughs> what was going on with cooperative games. Same. And- <laughs> yeah. I still don't love them today. Like mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Like it's something, maybe I'm just a really competitive person. I don't know. I I thought there's just they seem so much harder. (laughs) I found out why most of them don't work for me and which ones will work for me and why that that is just a whole different there's I almost I think I wrote like a thesis on that. But any case, my my beginning (laughs) dates as a game designer were very, very much that of like trying to design this game and then like coming up against a wall and then just playing a lots of games and like getting as much information as possible from podcasts and things in order to get around it. And then for that very first game, it took about two years, uh, one year okay. before I felt comfortable to start pitching it. And in that second year, I was able to pitch it and get it signed uh, with Gold Seal Games. Mm. That's awesome. And just so everybody knows, which game was that? A book of villainy and that had to be a good feeling like going through but i'm sure like initially was very nerve-wracking to pitch because we actually really haven't talked in depth with anybody who has Mm. pitched a game yeah the pitching process like because i was in that uh, that very first year was my absorption year my sponge year and it was both learning a lot about the game design process but also about the community itself and what options I had as a game designer. Uh, because my biggest concern whenever I started out was, oh, I've created this this project, this baby, and, you know, do I want to self-publish it or do I want to pitch it to a publisher? And, yep. you know, when it comes to the art or how they bring it to life, am I really ready to, like, hand over the creative reins to it? And... You know, when it came to all my other creative endeavors like writing or drawing, I was I felt very selfish about the things that I created and just like this is this is the thing that I made. But as as I like went through playtesting and developing a game, I realized that it wasn't necessarily true for board games. And the more I researched about the board game process and and actually creating a game like what goes into Actually publishing a game, the more I feel informed enough to say I want to pitch. Um, because if you want to self-publish a game, you really have to start a business. 
And Mm -hmm. one, that's an entirely different skill set. And even if I have the aptitude to do that, that isn't something that I enjoy doing. There is so much time and energy that goes into creating a game and developing a game, but you need to put that same energy and time into a business to have it be successful and have people want to come back. So for sure, I decided I'd much rather concentrate on creating the game and playtesting the game and then hand the reins to someone else and just really hope that we were aligned in our like final vision of what the game is. For me, it was, you know, spending that first year figuring out like what exactly it looked like and, you know, figuring out that Ching is the path I want to go to. And then the second year was, okay, how do I pitch it when I know absolutely nobody in the board game industry? Sure. Yeah. Mm. That's fair. And that's, I mean, that's a really important lesson to hear Mm. that so many of us fall to that siren song of Kickstarter. Like, Ooh, I'm going to make a million dollars and it's going to be this, that, and the other. You have to do remember that there is a a business side of things. You have to deal with taxes Mm -hmm. and fulfillment and shipping. Customer service. Yeah. Customer service. Yeah. All of these (laughs) things that you don't really think about when you're like, oh, I'm going to make a Mm -hmm. board game. That's going to be fun and creative. And it's really interesting to see the side, that side of things Mm -hmm. uh, from your perspective. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. I I definitely noticed a difference in. Like people who went to board game conventions and they were just there to play the games and people who had to like figure out how to ship all their games to the convention and then try and spend all their time selling it so they didn't have to spend the money yeah. to ship it back home or to the next convention. And it it can be such a, a burden if you're not prepared for that. You get to alleviate some of that difficult of creating a business, but you have to balance that with the risk of which publishers to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like you said, do, are they going to treat my, my baby in the same way that I would? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us kind of some of the feelings when you were pitching to publishers mm-hmm. and kind of navigating those waters, uh, finding the right sit for your game? Yeah. So again, I was starting with zero contacts in the industry. So it was just like, all I had was Google and, and board game geek. <laughs> um, and it was really hard to find a starting point. Uh, but, Something that I came across was Cardboard Edison, which was an amazing resource when it came to like just generalized information in the board game industry. And they had a compendium, uh, which was kind of like this document with all of these publishers and the types of games that they put out or the types of games that they were looking for. And that was really great as my starting point as far as looking into whose line would kind of fit the game that I was trying to pitch because, you know, I looked at all the advice videos and you don't want to just pitch to everybody indiscriminately. You want to make sure that your game actually fits with their lineup and, you know, you're not wasting anybody's time, but it's, it's, everyone doesn't have necessarily a website or a website that's up to date that shows you how they pitch. So the compendium was really helpful with that and just giving you a starting point for how to contact people. But the, the way that I found most traction was by putting myself out there with like board game contests and uh, speed pitching events. Because again, 
reaching out to publishers like cold calling or, you know, sending an email when you have no contact with them, there is still Mm -hmm. a very high chance you will just never hear back because they're busy, they're swamped, or, you know, that's just not what they're looking for. But doing some some sort of event where you are directly in front of them eyeball to eyeball at least gives you the benefit of getting some sort of feedback, whether it's verbal or, you know, you can observe their physical reaction to the game. So I, I found a lot more traction that way. And by signing up for um, these speed pitching events, for instance, they forced you to be ready and consider other things such as creating sell sheets, figuring mm-hmm. out how to pitch your game in 60 seconds, figuring out what's marketable about your game in order to get people's eyes to light up. Like through many, many painful tries of pitching my game and failing, I finally learned the right combination of words that like found my audience uh, with Book of Villainy. It was, you know, this game, you're a villain, but you're not very good at it. So you're writing a book about being a villain instead. And usually that's when people knew I'm engaged with this theme. I'm into this theme and they would you right. know, listen for more. And if they weren't, that was fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, you you have to go through that painful process of like pitching and talking about it awkwardly until you see what people really grab onto and signing up for these kind of pitching events really helped focus that. And with board game contests that also, they require the same thing, sell sheets or videos showing like the highlights of how to play an overview. Um, And those are also really important to kind of get the information out there. Because even if you aren't directly pitching to a publisher, you are showing your game to a wider audience. And so because of my participation in contests, I would have people come up to me at conventions and say, oh, I've seen this game before. I've seen the name of this mm. game before and be interested that way. So that's cool. Worked out. That's awesome. It's cool to see how some of the, the things that you don't really think about in terms of creativity mm. kind of coming together. You had to kind of flex your different muscles mm. and like interpersonal skills and marketing mm. and being a salesperson for you for your game. Mm. Um, and that's not always something that we think about when we think about like a creative hobby, like creating a board game. Mm. But if you're wanting to take it to be an actual career yeah. uh, where you're getting your games published, um, you definitely do have to learn these new skills. Um, and it seems like you've been pretty successful with that. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I had to overcompensate because I'm introverted. Uh, so it was actually mm-hmm. very difficult for me to kind of be the salesperson that can like grab passerbys to come play their game. I had to figure out more Imagine. creative ways to get people people's attention for my game. And so, you know, whether it was how I set up my game, like I made flashy business cards that were memorable. So people would just like, you know, I I got the expensive ones. <laughs> so they would pick it up and they kept it. And some people still have yeah. it to this day. Um, and it's just like, you know, having a nice sign whenever you're playtesting to draw people over instead of just kind of sitting at the table. Those were mm-hmm. things that kind of helped me stand out because I didn't really have the voice to be like, hey, come over here. You looking for a game to play? That's never me. Even now, yeah, that's sure. just not me. So you just have you to push past those cringy feelings. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. You just have to figure out like what, what marketing works for you or what, 
what way works for you. But I think that regardless of if you're an introvert or an extrovert, you can find a way to pitch your game. And I find that like settings where you are invited to pitch, like those speed pitching sessions where they're just like, you sit here and the publisher will come in front of you and you have five minutes and then they'll wow. go. That's perfect for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see, yeah, I could see that. Because it's like, the you know, it's I only have this much, like, it would, I feel like it would be less stressful in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, that's, I have all the expectation. They know that they're coming to look at the game. And if they don't, mm-hmm. and they just want to go by, that's okay, too. I can prepare for the next person. Um, yeah. I've heard of those, but I've never, I've never, like, I, I don't have, I haven't designed any games, so I have, wouldn't participate in one, but I've never observed one either. And I would love yeah. to just be a fly on the wall at some point. Just, and I know they do them at the conventions. I just have never been able to like be in the same space when it happens. Yeah. But they, I just feel like it'd be really interesting and a really good learning experience to see how other people are pitching, are doing that. Cause you're right. You do need to make it authentically you mm-hmm. because that's, I feel like that's a really good way to get a connection with your game as long if you're being authentic to yourself too. Yeah. They're an amazing learning experience and they can be totally different um, because there are like Shark Tank pitching events, which I've done, (laughs) where, you know, they have no intention of publishing a game. They're just there for you to practice your pitch. But I still was able to get in contact with a publisher because of that event, because my pitch went so well. And so, you know you have a panel of judges and they sit there and while you talk about your game, the cool thing about the board game industry is it is still very small and everybody wants to help each other because one success is a success for the hobby and more people in the hobby is a success for everyone. So like if a publisher sees your pitch and they're like, amazing, love that, but totally not a fit for my line. It doesn't necessarily end there. They'll be like, you know what? My buddy over here, they might be a good match. And in fact, that's how I got at least two of mine signed is just being introduced nice. to another publisher who was just like, oh, yeah. And then being passed on. I, I actually cool. had one convention where I was passed on from publisher to publisher um, where they're just <laughs> like, you have to play this game. It's not a fit for me, but we got to find somewhere it's a fit. So cool. once you, you know, are able to play test with a publisher or like get a publisher's attention to like check out your game. It can be a really good way to like continue the cycle and get, get your game out there. So way to network. I mean, Mm -hmm. really like if you're doing those, you, if you're doing the speed pitching, like that's a lot more connections that you can make in a very short amount of time than if you tried to run around and set up meetings with everybody Mm -hmm. in a convention setting where we all know that that's crazy to try to schedule and do. And you don't, you don't get to see half as many people as you really want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And it, it's kind of like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> where like, they might not be the right fit, but they might know somebody or that person might know somebody. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like this community is small enough that like most people can recommend it to someone else. And it's, if they're seeing you, they're seeing that you're an authentic person, that you know what you're talking about or you have good ideas or whatever it seems like that kind of spreads really quickly like it does you build a reputation yeah, yeah because i think at the end of the day the publisher is yes looking for an amazing game but also just as importantly they're looking for someone that they want to work with and so yeah if you are somebody they want to work with sometimes 
the game almost doesn't matter, you know, because you, mm. as a game designer, often you're going to be like working hand in hand with your publisher over two years, could be three, could be four, um, because you know, they'll sign their games ahead of time and then it's in the pipeline for, you know, mm -hmm. X amount of years. And so they need to make sure that you're a dependable person um, that they can collaborate with and, you know, bring the project to its completion. And you don't want to just enter into a, a part a two year partnership partnership with anybody. So Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could be a really long two years or a really fast two years. Like exactly. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the right fit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, for, I kind of forget about that sometimes that they, they sign games so early that, mm -hmm. and, and now that we've talked to more designers, I'm seeing them are like, Oh yeah, I had a game just signed, but it's not going to be out till 2025 or something like that. And you're like, yeah. Oh, but I want it now. <laughs> exactly. Like as the player, I want it now. Mm -hmm. uh, all of us players are like that. Like I'm, I'm dying to cram more things on my shelf back mm -hmm. here. And it's, I, it is exciting to see how many, how many titles actually really are coming out in a year mm -hmm. that it's, I mean, and being a completionist does me no good in the board game industry because I could never, ever, ever collect them all. Like there's <laughs> just no way, mm. but it's the same thing. There are designers that I'm like, Oh, if that's so-and-so's game, then I'm probably going to like, cause I know that they, they tend to make things that I enjoy and stuff like yeah. that. And mm -hmm. actually your name, when we were starting this podcast, your name came up several times as oh, someone yeah. that we needed to make sure <laughs> from various other designers and publishers were like, you oh, really awesome. want to talk to Vertessa? And I'm like, Aww. okay, I do really want to talk to Vertessa. <laughs> That's amazing. So now do you have, are you generally working on multiple designs at one time? Well, it de it just depends. Like <laughs> ever I was just doing the games independently or when I'm doing games independently, I, I focused one at a time. Whenever I was working at Funko, I had multiple at a time. And then uh, currently, it's kind of like a balance of one personal game and then doing development on, on you know, a couple of others. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'd keep them all straight. Like, <laughs> I guess I just need to work in an assembly line. And I can't imagine the pace with, like, Funko and Prospero Hall as fast as I see titles coming out of them. Like, holy mm -hmm. cow. Yeah. That has to be kind of a tight timeline to, to have to keep up with. Yeah, there was one point where I was working on four games at once and I had to <laughs> get those done because the, the timelines are much tighter. But also the scope of like what you're working on is different. And, you know, I was working on kids games and mass market games. So like it's kind of like board game challenges, if you've ever seen them, where they, they give you a theme and a, like yeah. different mechanics that you yeah. have to do. But yeah. it's for a company. So it, it actually helps to okay. pin down your your like your your need to go everywhere with it because sure. they give you yeah, these right. very specific um, things that you need to hit. And so you're just yeah. like, okay, the challenge is how do I hit that, you know, with this theme or with these mechanics or this budget. So Yeah, sometimes restrictions can lead to the most creative ideas. Mm -hmm. Which I can see that definitely working well. Yeah. I feel like I would need those prompts to start because even like doing this, of course, like starting a podcast about board game design, you can't mm -hmm. help but your mind wanders a little bit. Now Parker was already already had the bug, was already designing before we started it. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just a happy little content creator who wants to learn things. Yeah. And I did message Parker and, and was like, I think I have an idea. But at yeah. the same time, it's 
oh my gosh, trying to then wrap my hands around it and be like, hang on, come back, hang on. Like, because it just goes <laughs> in a million directions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does anybody ever tie these down to, I was like, I have like 57 different mechanic ideas. Like, this will never work. Yep. And so I feel like I'm almost maybe somebody who needs the structure of like, no, 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 you're going to do this and this and that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't bring anything else into the picture. I like your your setup where you're kind of working on the the company that you're working with mm-hmm. on their games, uh, but you also have your own personal projects mm-hmm. that you're working on. Yeah. As an artist, it's helpful for me to have different projects uh, going at the same time. Yeah. And it helps me to kind of just keep from getting stale mm-hmm. on True. one of them. Yeah. And you kind of just pivot and work on something else for a while. And sometimes that gives you ideas that uh, will translate to your other projects. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can imagine that the system that you're working with is, is pretty helpful with the creativity. Yeah, absolutely. It it really does help to kind of give yourself a mental break to because you're solving different problems between the yeah. two. Mm-hmm. But not so helpful if they're like the same, they're kind of tackling the same genre or yeah. area, but sure. it, it certainly, I find, is, is very useful if I come to a creative block and like I still want to feel like I'm being productive um mm-hmm. and if you have just one game it can be very easy to kind of get deeper into your creative block because you're not moving forward um mm-hmm. so yeah if you have the time i do advise it <laughs> <laughs> now for the one like you're kind of independent designs where have like where have you gotten inspiration or some of your ideas from usually my ideas are always an internal question i'm trying to answer like for like my that. very first game it was if I made a board game, what would it be? And, you yeah. know, it was just like the, I have a resting mischief face. So people will always like call that. me out in hidden identity games because they think I'm up to no good. So I was like, you know. Villains. That's amazing. A wholesome way to spin that term. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then for my second game, <laughs> Wicked and Wise, I was answering the question of like, what is a cooperative game that I would like? Because... I was trying to redefine what cooperation was, which, yes, you know, and you, you did a open... really good job. Thank you. <laughs> because I don't like well, I just said earlier, I don't love co-op games, but mm-hmm. we got a chance to look at. Actually, I have a, a prototype of it over here. I have got we've gotten a chance. And I, I was like, this is up my alley. Like it can be done. Well, co-op can be done in a fun way. Yes. And that that was it was answering that question and like tying into like the nostalgia of space where which is where I found that, like that team cooperation. And then for the third one, the third one felt more like the Funko challenge of like a friend approached me, Mondo, and he was just like, I want to make a party game about mansplaining. How do we do that? And I was like, ooh, interesting. How do you make mansplaining funny? Because I hate it. And- right? <laughs> when he was talking about this game, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, Ma. Like, I don't get it. But no, you can't actually make it funny. Yep. Yep. So answering that question and the most recent was just like, hmm, how do I like make a super interesting role and write for myself? Like what what would that look like? So it's just always a a question that I'm personally invested in. in. I love that. And you've really dabbled in a lot of different kinds of mechanics, too. So mm-hmm. you haven't like cause I know some people like, uh, you know, Ube Rosenberg, you're always going to have, you mm-hmm. know, a certain kind of game when, when you play his kind of stuff. But yeah, it's really cool to see like all so many different like mechanics and stuff coming into all of your designs that mm-hmm. that's really cool that especially knowing that you like and 
Do you have one that you so far that you've really liked designing to that mechanism? I always or mechanic. Really, I guess I should say mechanic, but I always really love worker placement. I haven't made it work yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm chasing a worker placement game. I got you. There's so many. I mean, and it's it's a pretty. There's a lot of them. So it's yeah. hard to. How do I make this one different? Yeah, that's that's a mechanic I I really enjoy, and I I haven't I haven't found the right question to to ask yet. But I'm I'm getting there, and then the second one is deck it. building, which I believe I'm answering now. Cool. We're, we're seeing uh, like, can we make a deck building city builder? I think so. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> I love deck building. Deck building is definitely one of my favorite mechanics for sure. Mm-hmm. Although when I start when I start trying to name off what my favorite one is, then I'm like, well, yeah. it depends on the day of the week, yep. um, how I'm feeling. Like exactly. I really, it's like pick a favorite kid or a favorite dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it. Like, it's just like, I'm in the mood for this. And I yeah. love that that's like, that, and I'm I, I'm guessing that that's kind of how it is with a design brain, too, is like, mm-hmm. I'm in the mood for this. And yep. so I'm going to I'm going to play with that mechanic. Yeah, it's exactly that. And like, I usually try and chase moments or memories. Like for me, I, I am super fond of the heart of the cards. And it is dear to my heart. I have all these memories of like shouting, oh, it's time to do, 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 do all, you know, and like, <laughs> I realized that a thing that you will see in my games are things where you have the ability to top deck or you can have your heart mm-hmm. of the cards moment. So I chase after My deck that. has no terrible card. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like deck oh, building man. really leans into that, which is why it's just like. Hmm, is there a way like you're making your own destiny yeah (laughs) that's awesome i frequently misquote you activated my trap card in pretty much any game it doesn't matter what it is exactly Uh, so i I feel you on a a deep level on this one so currently we said before we started recording um, you're now working with a little a little smaller company i don't know i don't know that very many people have heard of it before yeah can you yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. What is what is that? <laughs> I am a game designer for the TCG, and I'm still a baby learning the ropes. But you know, I will get to help deciding like what cards come out in the decks, and you know what Pokemon work well so, with each other. And you that's know, so exciting! I'm, I'm very happy to have joined the team there. Eventually, so cool. you will hold the Moonstone and you'll evolve <laughs> and you'll be a not baby yes. designer. Yes. Yeah, that for is sure. Super exciting. <laughs> no, yeah. that's so cool. Parker and I both got uh, our start, some of our starts on a TCG. Uh, yes. That's how we met each other. Uh, that's where I first started doing content cre- creation. So they are near and dear to my heart anyway. That's because awesome. they're just sort of, I, I was playing board games before that, but I mm-hmm. really imb- like, got it i feel yeah. like with the community and with all that stuff like once i once i got into a tcg community like it's yeah. just a different experience but yeah. it is when there's a certain nostalgia like because i i played tcgs growing up as as a kid yeah and it, it was so cool because like pokemon is but your grandpa was that like before magic <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean so so pokemon's over like, it's 20 years i was like now. hang on you're gonna so, make me like, feel real old it is like it yeah yeah. So like I, some of some of our foster kids were playing yeah. uh, Pokemon TCG uh, when they came to us, yes. and it was so fun to like go back and be like, "These are my cards from the nineties," yeah. <laughs> and I got smoked. Uh, I had no idea where what they did with Power Creek with the yep. GXs and the EXs and the 
XYZs. Mm-hmm. And I, oh my gosh. Oh, I just, oh, but regardless, <laughs> that was a really fun, like, connection moment, yeah. like, between generations. Like, Pokemon just has a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, place in my heart because of that. It, it's unlike quite a, quite a few things. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So when, when you said that you were working at Pokemon, it had like a little fan. Growing <laughs> <moment, so. laughs> I also noticed that you are doing Inktober. Yes. You were drawing Pokemon every mm-hmm. day this month. I am. Um, I can never say that I have finished Inktober. I always fizzle out after about week two. Mm-hmm. So you're doing, you're, you're about where I normally fall. <laughs> so keep going. Yes. Keep the dream alive. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have That's only a, successfully it's a lot completed of work. Inktober it once, is. and that was last year. So I'm, I, I thankfully have people to keep me accountable. So we're, we're going to keep it going. <laughs> I can't draw anything. I attempted to do Nano Rhino, Nano Rhino. Mm-hmm. In November, oh my god, I oh my god, like I I was like, what am I? I attempted it, I didn't make it. Did you do Preptober beforehand? No, maybe that's that's what my wife is doing right now. Maybe that's why. And so, and I'm not exactly like I didn't even know where I was going. I was like, this sounds fun. I used to do creative writing. I was like, nope, you haven't flexed that muscle in a really long time. This is like, and I know that you're just doing it to do it. You're not really expecting to get. Yeah, it was garbage. And I think that's what made me stop as I was like, I was like, oh, imposter syndrome. I'm out. Like, that was the end oh. of that. And one of these days I might try it though. again. But maybe that's I'll just cool. do board game. Re- like, maybe I'll write, like, review, like, something that I can yeah. relate well, to a little bit better, too. Th- 30 consistent days of something, you're going to be way better at the end of that. Th- it's never too late to do NaNoWriMo. And, like, for the oh, yeah. past 10 years... I had been falling off on doing it and I was also going in and just being like, I'm going to write open page. Let's go. And I do one page and be like, garbage and leave. But last year I did the prep. <laughs> I didn't do preptober, but I sat down and I like actually Smart. wrote out like thumbnails for where I wanted mm-hmm. the story to go. And I actually was able to su- successfully write three or four chapters, like readable chapters. Nice. Um, wow. And I'll just continue the story this year because as soon as NaNoWriMo was done, I was also done. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Now, now speaking of writing, I mentioned, so you also, there's this really exciting book coming out in November that you are a contributor for. I, I just mm, recently nice heard segue. about this. And so it's what yeah. board games mean to me. And there's a lot of different contributors for this. Yes. So can you share a little bit about like what all's in the, you don't have to tell us what your, your whole story is. Cause I don't want to spoil it, but um, yeah, yeah, like just sh- kind of share a little bit about that. It's really, I say really focused on how gaming kind of touched my life, like throughout my entire childhood, even though I didn't come into the hobby until 2017, like my gamer brain was being cultivated and like my relationship Mm -hmm. with games was being cultivated by the memories I was making growing up and like how they kind of bridged together with like the skill sets I learned as I got older and, you know, was trying to find my place with like job hunting early 20s. And um, just finding my own sense of community. So Mm. I love that. I can't wait. And I'm going to go ahead and mention this now. Uh, We're excited about this book. So make sure you're following along. We are going to post a giveaway for it so that one of our listeners can win a copy when this book comes out. I believe it's November 14th. 
Yes, that sounds right. I think that's what I'm seeing. And if you want to pick it up, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. I'm going to go ahead and we'll talk about it again, but I'm so excited about it. So I don't want people to miss hearing how you can get this book because I think it's really, really going to be a really cool read to pick up. I think it's just going to resonate. Like I have, I think all of us have a story like that with board games. Like that's just kind of how this community is. I made the joke at work that like when I put on my convention badge, like I'm really me. Like I am authentically 100% Kim. I'm not work Kim. I'm not, I'm not whatever. I am authentically 100% Mm -hmm. Kim when I have a convention badge on. I'm with my people and I'm just, I'm a totally different person. Not totally different, but I'm like just more energized (laughs) and just, I can just be me and nobody's going to judge me for it. Yeah. More lies. Yeah, that's probably true. So I guess, so looking back over all this, what Mm -hmm. is some advice that you would give to yourself as an inspiring designer years ago or to somebody who's thinking about, like, they have a game or maybe they've just started working on it? What are some things that you've learned along the way? One of the biggest things I, I wish I could have, like, told myself was to really don't be afraid to keep your own pace. I found like there were a lot of times where I would feel drawn into other people's pace because, you know, they would get excited and they're like, oh, you should be at this step next or, you know, do this step next. And like the really cool thing about board game design is there is no blueprint. There may be some like overarching blueprint of life that you feel like you have to follow. But when it comes to board games, you don't, you really don't. It's, as long as you want to take, as short as you want to take, it's every path in between. And like really enjoying that journey and figuring out what works for you is super important because there are so many different options out there. And I spent two years really like digging into and finding those options. Please ask questions, put yourself out there. I see a lot of new designers who are really like keeping keeping everything close to their chest. They want to protect it. They're afraid of things being stolen. But this Mm -hmm. community thrives and your board game thrives the more that you share. And Mm -hmm. it also like helps you be accountable and it helps you get answers that you need because it's really hard to ask questions about your board game and, and solve these problems if you're like giving these very vague you know, scenarios within your game. Uh, It's already hard if people can't directly play your game. So, you know, please be open and sharing. And that actually helps protect your game because there's a record of you talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. And there's, there's been so many instances when I share something about uh, my game trash dash Mm -hmm. uh, in the like board game design lab group on Facebook. I'll ask for specific like recommendations. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I, I know that the things that I'm coming up with aren't 100% like, unique they're not groundbreaking Mm -hmm. so i'll ask like oh what games have you seen that uses a similar system to this or this mechanism or whatever and people are so willing to to offer their suggestions and there's games that i would have never found just googling it Mm -hmm. it's it's so much so much easier to to navigate Mm -hmm. with other people who are telling you where to look for things it's Mm -hmm. yeah and not being scared of, of people stealing your idea or saying that's a stupid idea or something. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's a very kind community. Yeah. Even in the, the small amount of time that I've been interacting with it, it's just board, board game people are very kind. Yeah. Very much agreed. And I think the other thing, so whenever I was in Atlanta, it felt like it was very difficult for me to find 
community because things are a little bit more spread out as like distance wise and there aren't as many like local gaming stores i didn't know what that term meant it was mostly comic stores that also had games (laughs) so starting out most of the time when i engaged with the community it was at conventions and then i made friends there who introduced me to friends but um, if you're in a situation where you don't have an immediate board game community you can't go to a local gaming store um there are online communities and i i really found my footing in board game twitter which unfortunately r.i.p board game x right now i don't know blue sky Um, oh it's messy but board game twitter will migrate somewhere and like figuring out which community is good which social media is good because you know each one you engage with differently you need to find like where you have a voice and where you can interact with people Um, because i found like the experience of going to board game conventions alone was starkly different from the experience of going to board game uh, conventions and knowing people Um, oh yeah yeah. and it just lifts so much burden it's almost like the difference of designing a game alone and designing with a person like you just don't know until you've experienced it but there it can be so overwhelming or intimidating going into a space alone particularly if you are a minority and you just don't see a lot of yourself so sure like keep putting yourself out there find your community online first and then try and like coincide that with which conventions you maybe go to and also there are different like sponsorships and scholarships to certain conventions Um, so you can also look into those as well to try and get to places that might be like outside of your immediate bubble Mm -hmm. that's a great point yeah i was terrified when i was a baby content creator and i went Mm -hmm. to my first origins and i had to hand people my business card and i was Mm -hmm. like oh god yeah like i was I was terrified. And now uh, we have a couple friends that go and my husband will go and they're like, you can't go five feet without running into somebody that mm-hmm. you know. And I went, well, I mean, the board game community is just kind of like that. Like yeah. it, they welcome you really, really with wide open arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, that's and I thank you for mentioning the resources, too, because I don't think enough people know that those scholarships and type things are out there for people. Yeah. And I only knew because people directly reached out to me after establishing kind of a community on board game Twitter, I would get DMs saying, Oh, do you know about this opportunity? Have you seen this? And then I just tried, I applied, I had no reason to think I would get them, but I was able to, and they got me out of Georgia into all these different spaces. They helped me network and like keep expanding my network that way. So I, I really can't, express enough how much forming community and that foundation of community is important to the board game um, journey. That's cool. So now what else? So what's next for you? What is coming up? What are you working on now? Is there anything that you would, you can share that you'd like to share? Yes. <laughs> well, you've already mentioned the the book, what board games means to me. I'm very excited yeah, about right. that coming up. I also wrote a scenario for an upcoming RPG kind of oh. prep book called nice. don't meet in a tavern by uh, violet that's uh, the one that has the 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 boat that's on fire yes Is that the, that's exactly the it. yeah okay mm-hmm. i was like i thought i've, I've heard that <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> and then i also one of the projects that i worked on at funko the the second to last one that i worked at it just uh, came out it's called star trek cryptic where i basically had <laughs> to write a light novel if you don't know i'm so 
cool. I love Star- uh, Trekkie. <laughs> Don't tell my Star Wars friends, but I I started as I'm a t- I started with TNG. Like yeah. I yes, I was a Star Trek same, girl way before same. I was a Star Wars girl. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I have to watch for that. We have several other titles. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my lightsabers. <laughs> it's it's a escape room in a box. So please please oh. check it out. And yeah, I would love you if you check that out. And then um, there's another game that the very last game that I worked on, but I can't mention that one yet. Just know there's another one in the works from Funko that will be coming out probably cool. in spring. And then you already know about my my three independent games. And I'm currently working on my city builder called Wajinzi, which is really for builder. I love you that. That's so cool. So, yep. Oh, I hope I get nice. to meet up with you at some point. And, and yes. you need playtesters. Hit me up. <laughs> yes. I'm, now that I'm learning more about this, I'm understanding how to be a better playtester for people, too. Like, that's kind of, I'm like, I'm not ready to dive in. I might get there with the design. <laughs> I had an idea. We got that far. But I was yes. like, I can be, a, I'm trying to be a better playtester. That is awesome. Well, Parker, it might be time to box up this episode. Sounds like it. Do you want to ask the rapid fire questions this time? Sure. I feel like I always do it. I want Parker to do it first. <laughs> then I can't All be, right, it can't always be my fault if I get people off topic. Oh my gosh. All right, Fertensa, are you ready? ready. These are very difficult mathematical. We get told they're good questions sometimes. I don't know if that's true or they're just patronizing me, but. Mm-hmm. I'll take They're it. probably just being nice, Kim. It's, it's it, fine. It was Mondo. Right. <laughs> Can't trust that guy. So he probably was. <laughs> While he was a Goodwill placing games and right. pretending to find like, them. Finding games. Yeah. Finding games. I've never found a game of Goodwill. He's full of baloney. Alrighty. So what is your favorite board game mechanic? Worker placement. Or deck building. I know. I kind of spoiled that one earlier. My bad. (laughs) Yeah. Way way to go, Kim. Sorry. (laughs) All right. This is a hard one. Which game do you think should have been more popular than it was? I mean, Dune Imperium. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) I I I feel like that's award winning. It's I love it. (laughs) Who is your favorite game designer? Hold on. You can't say Mondo Davis. Rainer Nitzia. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. What game started your board game journey? Mm. And you can do, I know you said kind of childhood versus hobby entry. You can do both. That's that was a mousetrap girl. Well, (laughs) and mall madness. Childhood. Got to be Monopoly. I played that by myself. Me I too. played both roles. In fact, it got to the I point where that. I play like four roles. I feel like it I would have was... liked it better if I just played it solo. <laughs> like I was doing it all wrong. How are we supposed to call somebody out for cheating if you're playing against yourself? Because though? I clearly know that I am a fair and just person and I would never cheat. Oh, I don't know if you're playing Monopoly, right? <laughs> also, my memory is crap, so it worked out. Like, It'd be whichever my favorite pawn was would be the one I would be like trying exactly. to inch out to win. I was I always, always the, the dog. dog. I was like, the dog should yeah. have Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And as for into the hobby itself, it was Catan. Because mm. I I was visiting a college friend and she just brought out, she's like, look, there's this game called Catan. And we didn't live in the same state. So we played it the night before I was supposed to leave. And I was like, who? You oh, just man. you just gave me this, and I have no one to play this with, and I don't. I, where am I <laughs> no. supposed to find that? I spent like two years chasing Catan, and 
So yeah, that was that lit the fire. All right, and last one. Which game do you wish you had designed? I literally just said the answer to this question. And what was it? I wish that I had designed for sale. There we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, that game's so fun. Elegant. You that would like for solid. sale, Parker. It's right up the cover your assets alley. Mm-hmm. Like it's Ooh. got some. That's the one with the uh, first phase, second yep. phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I have simple. a tiny version of it that's super portable, which is really fun. It's a fun yeah. game. Yeah, it is. That's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> I love hearing people's answers to these because it's, you know, everybody's wildly different. And so that's yeah. always super fun. Yeah. Designing for phases is wild. <laughs> But you're right, like, phases are cool, like, it's, and that would be, like, because it's almost, like, different, you're experiencing the game very different, like, yeah, like, but you have to now that you say that, that I really like like games games. with, (laughs) I like a lot of games with phases, now that I stop and think about it, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's, I, four or five, three or more popped in my head, so. Mm -hmm. Well, Fertessa, if people want to follow along on your journey, where can they find you? At Fertessa at all socials. (laughs) Nice, you keep it simple. Yes. Like Parker does, too. I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely follow Bored Out of My Mind on all the socials, including the Clock app now, uh, at Bored Out of My Mind Podcast. You can email us, but we're not very good at checking our email. But I, I will keep an eye on it, I promise. Uh, you can follow all my content creation goodness at Tabletop Rebellion and Mr. Parker. Yeah, and you can check out my artwork at Parker Simpson Artwork, or you can specifically look for Trash Dash, my upcoming game, on Facebook. Awesome. All right, everybody. Until next episode, we'll see ya! Bye. Bye! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Bored Out of My Mind Podcast. Find us on social media as Bored Out of My Mind Podcast, and tell us about your own game design journey, or drop us a line via email to board out of my mind podcast at gmail.com. The board out of my mind podcast is a production of boom productions until next time.